right, welcome back, guys. It's been a while. Good to see you. How's everybody doing? Good. Good, good. Thank you. And you? I'm doing pretty good. Good. Everyone's surviving the uh, the insanity of the world. Yeah, I'm still alive. Tired, I'm still but alive. alive. I'm still alive, too. That's good. Thus far. Yeah. All right, well, it's been a while since we've talked, but we've all been fairly busy. I finished my master's recently, so that's been nice to have that off my schedule. But today, oh, we're going to talk about... One of my favorite films, Midnight in Paris. Who showed you that movie then? Well, I'm guessing by the way you asked the question, it was you. Yeah, just wanted to say <laughs> Well, you might as well tell the story because I don't really remember it all that well. I don't remember it either. I just remember we were at your house and I told you, you want to watch a really good movie? And I play that movie. And I think that's it. <laughs> okay. See, I, I love this movie so much. It's It's literally one of my favorites and i think it's the only movie that i've ever watched front to back and then liked it so much i played it again right away wow that's quite yeah. a, that's quite an achievement on their <laughs> end that's yeah, I mean, I, that's a I solid four hour entertainment session yeah. yeah it was like when we were kids and all we wanted to watch was sergeant bilko Oh, yeah, my parents used to get so mad at us kids for re-renting that every time they're like <laughs> well, look, we rented this enough times, times to yeah. buy it five times over. Yeah. I don't know, after we were three just like, times, they should have caught on and just bought it. Yeah, I know. I don't know why <laughs> they kept, kept. I think it was because we would space it out enough that no, they didn't really notice for a while, and then they're like, <laughs> "We've watched Sergeant Bilko, and we still don't own it. Like, what are we doing every time? It's like yeah. once a month. Anyways, we yeah. did buy it. We should watch that next." Also a, a great movie. <laughs> that is a great movie. I watched The Three Amigos the other night. Oh, yeah. And that is another one of those movies that I absolutely love. Such a good movie. It's so funny. Just <laughs> as funny today. Oh, The Three Amigos. Such a good movie. Oh, man. Okay, <laughs> so, so stupid. It's so stupid, but we're here today to talk about uh, the, what is it, Midnight in Paris. So, yes. Let's try and stay a little bit on topic this time, but we can't promise anything because we usually digress into Star Wars at some point. But um, yes, yeah. so this is the official Star Wars po- podcast. Every time we get the, the unofficial, <laughs> yeah, yeah, the unofficial. <laughs> yeah, we trick people or, into thinking that we know about other movies, and then we start talking <laughs> about stuff. We it's should true. just like do every podcast and like, towards the end we just start blending it like you don't notice that we start talking about Star Wars. <laughs> 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 just like a, a little trick. Great. All right. Yeah. Midnight in Paris, though. Dan, why don't you give us a little kickoff since it's your favorite movie? Well, it's one of my favorites. Um, no, I actually just wrote. I, I, all right. This. I just finished my master's in literature and creative writing, and I wrote a five and a half thousand word paper on this movie in the past uh, six months. Should we I, stop I, recording? I have and you can you just a, leave you. <laughs> I, you just I could, it. but I don't. I don't want to read my paper to you guys. But uh, what did you write it for? Read it. <laughs> well, I spent about a year working on the idea, uh, Midnight in Paris, and and its relation okay so i'll I'll start with this uh i think this is the first film that we're going to talk about that is not a traditional hero's journey yeah yeah this one falls under what would be classified as a golden fleece narrative 
So it really follows the, the psychological journey of Gil Pender and what he's dealing with. And it mirrors the classical texts of the Odyssey. So before we get into all that crap, I hope I don't uh, get too what pedantic or... You will. I how, yeah, I probably will. But how do you guys feel about this movie? Tell me what it is that you guys love about this film. John? <laughs> uh, well, there, it's kind of funny because like I've seen it twice now. Uh, the first time I watched it, I think I was in, um, I think I was in uh, college, uh, and I really liked it. I loved it actually. I thought it was fantastic, and I still do. Um, I do think it's kind of funny though, like especially in the beginning, it, it feels like having watched it. I don't know if I didn't notice this, but it did feel like a little bit of um, like uh, telling, not showing to a certain extent. Like there's a lot of like foreshadowing in the dialogue, which is good. It, it's not a bad thing. It's just funny because it kind of made me laugh, like how much they talk about the, uh, well, even they define it, um, that desire to live in another time. Nostalgia? Thinking, yeah, well, yeah. So oh, I thought there was another nostalgia, term. Well, there's the line that he says, um, golden age thinking, right? And he goes, nostalgia mm-hmm. is denial, denial of the painful present. Right. But also, isn't nostalgia actually a uh, painful memory? Isn't that what it re- roughly translates to? It's like the pain of remembering something fondly? No. Actually, it, it, it actually means homesickness. That's really what it is. Okay. So, uh, this, this movie, it's, it is an odyssey, right? Like Gil is trying to get home just like Odysseus. When we, when we meet Odysseus in the odyssey, he's stuck on this Island with the goddess, uh, Calypso. And the first time we see him, he's sitting there on the beach and he's longing for home, right? So there's nostalgia right there. So what we see in this movie is Gil is stuck in a fantasy world with the god. Well, this is my whole, this is my paper. I actually wrote this. But <laughs> I, I I could be considered an expert on this movie now, because <laughs> <laughs> uh, I did the research and nobody else talked about this. Uh, none of the critics. There's been no one who's really like cottoned on to what's happening in this movie, and I. I so this is really my own theory of this film. Um, the idea that Gil is trying to get home, he's actually trying to get back to Paris. Paris is his artistic and his spiritual home, right? That's where he feels most that he belongs. Mm-hmm. So the way that the movie functions is like Inez is the first goddess. She's Calypso. And uh, Odysseus is stuck with her and she, he's described as the unwilling lover beside lover all too willing. So there's an, an unequal partnership right and you see that in this movie like gil and inez they have no they're not simpatico at all they don't get along they both want completely different things out of life but she wants to stay in malibu and wants to keep him as a scriptwriter in california in hollywood right so that's the fantasy island that he lives on right like what's a more fan- fantastical place or a, an, a place that's more associated with fantasy than hollywood mm-hmm. so he's stuck there with her and he's trying to get home to his artistic spiritual home of paris right well i didn't i did enjoy like those that that whole that whole theme as well where it's like you know everybody's trying to return to their golden their idea of an a golden era but uh and i i did kind of like the well i guess in the the doubling down on that where he kind of finds 
his golden age and his his like like ideal partner in life as well who happens to be in that golden age but she also doesn't desire to be there she wants to take him to her golden age and she's enthralled with that and they that they have this immediate divide like because they really seemingly are on the same page but they actually aren't and when you open up the doors for them to go and wherever they want they ultimately can't see themselves together and are willing to sacrifice each other their their love for that so i did like that kind of that whole theme of you know going deeper and deeper into the golden age and having different perceptions of that whereas um inez and her family have this kind of like they're stuck in their ways and they have no desire to go anywhere they are you know they they don't like anything else right like this is seen in the restaurant where he's like I'm no francophile, right? And they just hate Paris and they, you know, the whole thing. Like, yeah, they're there out of necessity. Yeah. yeah. And they're they just... They go to an American film while they're in Paris. It, yeah. Yeah, and he's like a... He's a Republican who is... Actually has no desire for discourse. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like, he's he's really just like... They're completely stuck in their ways. Um, yeah. Whereas, oh, uh, like, Gil is a lot more open to well just discussion of other ideas but also really just romanticizing the place and and it really in, like planting himself in the present but also in the past <laughs> interesting <laughs> i like it i think it's fun oh. tell me what do you what do you love me i love that movie man i watched it in the theater when it came out i remember there were only like five people with me like I was, I was gonna say, away, yeah, yeah. Like <laughs> those movies in Mexico, normally you, you have to see them in a really, like in an artistic theater, yeah, boutique theater. Like, yeah. yeah, exactly. You can't see them any, anywhere. And I went to watch, and I was expecting to be surrounded with, you know, like film students or like movie Allen fans, and there were only five people with me, and. They were not reacting to the movie. They were not enjoying it. I was completely really? yeah, and I was completely in love with it. Like I felt a really strong connection with Gil because you know me. I'm like I'm always yeah. dream- daydreaming. I'm always thinking of how better it would be if I lived in the eighties or the fifties. Right. Yeah. Yes, yeah, like I, I really felt that connection and I understood what he was going through. So it was like a really personal movie to me. It was like was like when you go to a theater, you read a book, whatever, and you wake up and realize that you have to stop doing something to chase your dream. And I remember yeah. I finished my film degree in Mexico and like two months after, two or three months after I knew that I was going to Vancouver. Right? Yeah. So that movie was like a kind of, you know, like a Catalyst. motivation. Yeah, exactly. Like, I always knew that I wanted to get out of there, but that was, like, one yeah. thing that was, like, it's, it's it's now or never. You need to start chasing oh, that's that. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it really means a lot to me. It's on my top 20, so, definitely. Yeah, this one is in my top five. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, what, what, did you, what is your golden age? Let's start with that. That's a good place. I think, like... For what it, we this, want, is, this is obviously true of everybody, right? That's yeah. That's what the film is getting at. For what we want to do, like as a filmmaker, I would have loved to live in the 80s. I like okay. being with Spielberg and George Lucas and that 
era of this of cinema it would be yeah. like i would have loved that but as a person i think the 30s 40s i just love that era like i love everything right. about it like i think it was a time of a lot of innovations beyond being a period of war <laughs> yeah people were really Old reinventing war. themselves in my Jonathan? perspective yeah no, I mean, that's a good perspective. Yeah. Like, I, I love the 30s and 40s as well. And there's something so, uh, I don't know, it's, it's a weird thing to say, but there's studying World War Two is endlessly fascinating. Yeah, it's fascinating. There's so many different aspects of that time period that are just unbelievably fascinating to me. I just finished reading Masters of the Air, which is about the the American bomber boys who fought the air war over nazi germany yeah. so and that that book is being turned into a series by spielberg and tom hanks it's gonna be like another band of brothers yeah you mentioned mm. it there yeah um so i'm really but i just read that it was like a 700 page volume but it was wow. awesome yeah and then I, I had read the monuments men a few years ago and that was just all these other aspects of that time period that you have no idea really about they're not really that relevant in the popular imagination anymore but there's so many stories. So cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's an era. Like, it's a fantastic era, I think. Yeah. Plus, you know, everyone wore hats and you love hats. Oh, yeah. Exactly. That's one of the <laughs> things that I, that I like the most. The yeah. You could wear a hat without people. Yeah. Right now, every time that I go to the streets to buy groceries, they think that I'm trying to rob a bank or something. I have to wear a face <laughs> mask. I'm wearing sunglasses, a fedora. <laughs> All my tattoos and people are like, yeah, here's my money, man. Just don't, don't kill me. <laughs> it's like a mix between a, a classic and a modern bank robber. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Jono, what about you? What's your golden age? Honestly, I have like no desire to live in the early 20th century mid or really late i i liked the i really enjoy i lived in the early 2000s i thought they were pretty good <laughs> i thought it was like this hilarious like decent awkward but like not as awkward as the 90s era like music was music was kind of interesting it was fun you had like the pop punk era you had all these different things happening and like technology was kind of just in the right place yeah. I, I, I kind of and like, you know, all that all that good stuff. I just eighties to me were just a little bit like it just seemed a little bit like and you you don't want to touch too many things. <laughs> it just feels it felt a little grimy. Even Are you like about AIDS or what? Like, no, no, <laughs> just like touch too many things. <laughs> just everything, like, you know, hair was kinda looked greasy and, and oh, weird yeah. and like style was just a little bit whacked out and like uh like that like entertainment was just just felt like it was in this awkward phase of like they were figuring out how to do like practical effects that just were kind of creepy like yeah i i the 80s i never i could never really get on board with um i can't yeah i kind of like late 90s in the in the early well, hang 2000s. on what about terminator though terminator's awesome Okay, I like okay that those those ones are good, and then uh, Jurassic Park came along in the '90s, so there was yeah. kind of like cool stuff in the '90s yeah. too. But like, I mean, I grew up in that era as well. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I just kind of felt like the <laughs> there's like this perfect balance in the early, in the in the in the 2000s that I was. I think we just kind of reached it, and then 
from a social like um kind of uh mental health perspective of like technology mm. use I, I think that it was uh it was just kind of the perfect time in history and i think we're gonna miss that one a lot <laughs> when we look back on it it's gonna be the I, new I don't 80s know. yeah Big it'll baggy be the jeans well, everything was kind of coming in a little bit, right? Like you started getting the skinny jeans towards 2009s. You had like all the, like everything started happening a lot faster in the early 2000s. And it, there was the awkward chunky skate shoe flared out jeans era. Oh, yeah. And all the big yeah. logos on t-shirts. But, you know, pop punk was good. Things were good. Cell phones were at a good good spot, you know. You didn't have to have a cell phone either. Perfect time. Yeah, perfect time. No, no one was on that. social media stressed out about how many likes they had. That's really annoying. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, no one was trying to pursue influencer status. It was just yeah. living your life. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Dan? Uh, well, I mean, it changes, and I think you always have to qualify it when you when you put yourself back in the past. Like, I think the seventeenth, no, the sixteenth century was friggin' awesome. Henry the Eighth. But you would only really want to live there if you were extremely wealthy. You'd never want to live there as an average person. Oh, no. Right? No, no. Pretty and, miserable. And healthy. You'd die yeah. after yeah. 30. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, you'd die at like 30 yeah. years old. That's yeah, the other thing, too. It's like health care, yeah. all that type yeah. of stuff. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Again, guys, like I'm, se- I'm going to sell you on you, this. Like You want to be in the <laughs> early 2000s. <laughs> well, that's exactly the point, right? It's like you, you, it's never been better. You know, hist- like living life expectancy, health care, all that stuff has never been better than now. Yeah. Even in the 20s, you know. Um, but I still, there's something really cool to me about that era. I love reading about it. I love the Wars of the Roses in the 14th century. But again, like, you don't want to be a average person <laughs> in that time. Yeah, no. Uh, 20th century, like, I, I love the... I would have loved to see Europe before World War Two. Oh, yeah, me too. Because you... You know, reading about the destruction of World War Two that it caused, not just on the people, but the cities and everything like that. Like the fact that we don't have places like Dresden anymore, which is a city in Germany that just got completely. It was one of the the Dresden firestorm just destroyed the whole city. Uh, And it was this old medieval kind of looking city. It was apparently a center for art, just amazing art and all this stuff going on. And then in Italy, there was Monte Cassino, which was this. It was a 12th century cathedral that the Germans hold up in on the top of a mountain, and then the Allies just bomb the shit out of them. No. <laughs> and uh, it was like months-long war that, that they just – and uh, the whole cathedral was destroyed. And same with like the cathedral in Cologne and all these amazing old places that, that won't ever exist like they were. It's kind of like losing Notre Dame all over again, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But on a way larger scale, so that I would have loved to see Europe then. That would have been cool, because I love watching even, you know, you watch something like The Sound of Music or The Great Escape, and you see Europe in the '60s, and they still had a lot of those remnants of of old Europe, yeah. old world Europe that doesn't really exist anymore. Yeah, that would so, be nice yeah. to be there. But yeah, but then like obviously the the 1960s would have been cool too. But yeah. Yeah. No, there are so many eras that it would be cool to be in. Just visit. Like if I had a time machine, it'd be so cool to yeah. be there for two days. Obviously, with a pack of antibiotics. If I go to the <laughs> 16th century. 
<laughs> your little case of Valium. Like, yeah, you know. yeah, yeah. I'd like to be prepared. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I want people Again. to think that I'm a god. Early 2000s, man. I mean, just the 2000s. Avery Levine. Yeah, oh, God, skater yeah. boy. <laughs> there were so there were so many great little romances that happened. Oh, yeah. Look at this photograph, Nickelback. Wow. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> Beautiful music. Blink, eight, Blink 182 hit their prime. Some 40 more. One was doing well on American Pie. It's going into three movies. Uh, yeah. Wow, what a time. Yeah. Dude, I just watched alive. American Pie a few weeks ago, and uh, man, that's a great, that's a great film. That's it is fun. like that it's nostalgia man, of that time yeah. for me is just like so yeah. funny. Like you watch that, it's like the the soundtracks were everything in those films. Yes. Yeah, I remember. American I hated. Pie I don't miss CDs. With Blink. Yeah, but also CDs were in the early two thousands, and the iPod came out, and it just like blew. Yeah. It's like finally, like the, this is what we're supposed to be. So again, like once again, and those things were bulletproof. Products lasted for years. My iPod Classic still runs. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. mine too. Mine too. I oh, bought dude. one in twenty, I think two thousand eight, and still it still works. Mm-hmm. I had a, I had one from two thousand eight. It got stolen out of my car. I'm so no, pissed. No. Yeah, mine got and then stolen. I never got a new too. one. I bought a new one though, and it was a better yeah. one. And it was the last generation of iPods. Yeah. And it was like so that was like when products were like being made well. You know, Steve Jobs was still alive. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the world was in a great place. Wow. Yeah. Dancing like, was really awesome. Died. <laughs> but, yeah, that's true. I think, what year did he die? 2011. Yeah, 11. See, again, yeah. not, that didn't Same happen year in the 2000s. That Midnight in Paris was released. Oh, wow. Anyways, okay, Midnight in Paris. Okay. No, Star Wars, you mean. Star Wars, Return of the Jedi. Yeah. Let's yeah. do that. No, uh, so, okay, so where were we? Um, what did we talk about last? Golden uh, Eras. <clears throat> golden Eras, right. Returning to a golden age. The erroneous notion that life will be better in a different time. Yes, the deception that life will be better in a different time. Yeah. No, my, I quoted it correctly. Yeah. No, I'm saying I'm making my own quotes here. Oh, okay, I see. I see. <laughs> that's my. That's my. What I resulted in. But again, okay. So, I guess. Uh, what do you? I don't want to jump ahead here, Dan. You you run this. You're the one who wrote a paper on it for your masters. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're just. Funny. It was kind of funny to to write a a paper on on a film that's ten years old. But I freaking loved it anyway. It was it was one of the most uh, interesting papers I've ever written from my point of view anyway. Someone needs I've to write a paper a on papers. Apollo 13. I'll do that. I have, um I love that movie. <laughs> so I I started by saying that this is an odyssey. This is a modern day odyssey. And um what happens this whole idea of like returning to the past is actually a descent to the underworld. So in Greek literature, you have this common theme. And when Odysseus has to go home, he gets... So he goes from Calypso to another island where he meets another goddess, Circe. So there's two goddesses. And they both offer him a sense of immortality if they stay with him. right? So if he stays with Inez, he doesn't have to struggle. And you see that scene on the bed after they've gone up... They walk around Paris. And she pulls him to him and says, Oh, do you really want to give all that up? Just up? Give all your success up in Hollywood just to struggle. And he goes, Eh... 
maybe right so she's tempting him toward this idea of staying in hollywood in this fantasy land of immortality essentially and then that's what what's her name does as well adriana she's the the second goddess in the odyssey is circe and she's a little more subtle though it's not an explicit offer of exchange but she kind of lulls odysseus into staying with her for over a year and while he's there he sleeps with her and he forgets all about his quest and then his crew have to remind him that he has to go home so again that's another uh that's another fantasy island that he's being lured to so the constant theme throughout this film is like it's and and, and the odyssey is forgetting right and and giving up and and staying in these worlds where you don't have to struggle but that's what odysseus always chooses is i'm going to struggle against the harshness of reality in order to get where i need to go because there's something more meaningful in life and the struggle is more meaningful than a life of luxury so one of the things that he has to do in order to get home is he has to go to the underworld so he goes to the underworld and that's where he meets Tiresias, who's the blind Theban prophet, and he meets Achilles. Is he a so, Jedi? What? Is he a Jedi? Force Awakens. Let's talk about yeah. that. Tiresias? <laughs> <laughs> Is that a Jedi I was, that I don't know of? No, I'm just I'm trying, trying to, to bring Star Wars into the conversation. Yeah, just trying to okay, well, Remember in The Empire Strikes Back when <laughs> Luke is training with Yoda? Okay, okay. And he now goes I'm into liking... the cave. He That's... goes into the cave, right? Now, this, in, now this is interesting. That's him trying to seduce Luke <laughs> to stay in a fantasy oh, okay. No, that, that's him going to the underworld to get the knowledge that he needs to successfully pr- um, continue and get where he wow, needs to go. Wow, did you successfully use Star Wars to compare this? Wow. <laughs> Shut up. There you go. There you go. Shut up! So, Gil is not just going, you know, time traveling, right? He, he goes there because where he's going the 1920s is an underworld right it's his dead heroes yeah right and that's what odysseus sees right he he meets achilles and all the guys who died in the trojan war like ajax and all that stuff and he has conversations with them Mm, ajax he's cool and when he talks to tiresias who's the person who sees right the 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 idea of a prophet is someone who gives you correct vision and that would be kathy bates uh gertrude stein very good yes um because when you meet her, all she talks about is vision, right? What are you doing? How are you seeing? And her judgment is always held up as correct, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. By Hemingway and all these other artists, right? When you meet, when she's there and you meet her for the first time, she's talking to Picasso and she says, um, it has, the painting has universality, but not objectivity. And objectivity is a philosoph- philosophical theory that explains how you see the world, essentially. So it's saying that, like, it doesn't have the correct way of seeing. And she explains to him that this whole painting is simply your way of seeing her, but we don't see her that way. So it's incorrect. Okay. The same thing with Gil's book. Um, okay. I don't want to like read my whole paper to you guys, but I feel like this is happening. <laughs> well, of course it's going to happen. You're way more educated or at least uh, you've thought about this on another level that most that we, I watched two days I, ago. I, I, I'm not <laughs> kidding. I, I literally spent a year thinking about this movie. <laughs> like I said, do point. you want us to just drop off the call and we can just let you talk about it? <laughs> yeah. Then we well, can I, just I, record like, our farewells and that's it. Yeah. yeah you guys can, I'll just record yeses. I'll, and, I'll mm-hmm. record all our sponsor um ads and then we can i can just leave you (laughs) (laughs) okay 
so so that's what he's going to the underworld for right like why does gil go there because he's not sure if he can make it as a writer he's not sure if he can give real literature a shot and you see that and hear that in the scene where they're where they're at versailles and inez says he, he's not sure the problem is he's not sure if he can write an actual novel so that's the problem that he's gone to find out right yeah. but then he does find that he has a voice that it's interesting but she thinks that he writes like it's science fiction which is referencing that he's from another place he's not from this world right what's and in yeah, the Scalia well, shop that's the thing it, it, that those places hadn't really been invented yet right so it's like the yeah it's interesting though that he brings that concept into their world and i guess had nostalgia really been a thing at that time did pe- was it a like because now it's a big thing in our culture is nostalgia is this kind of like over like it's a problem almost like people like owen owen wilson's character gill is very much yeah. like he is the modern problem which is a lot of yeah. people in our time do look at like there's with with all the things that we have with all the opportunities and privileges that we do have in this society that has so much openness to it which is travel technology yeah um the the expedited processes that those uh that uh, that allow people to like move into careers faster and all that type of stuff their dream career Pe- people are all about that whereas in that time most people didn't have that opportunity so and now and like in the even in 2011 like that was it that was the dream but like there's all these people that really still despite all of that despite having so much ultimately look to the like they want more and that may not be in the meat they, they don't they look at the present as something that's like it's not enough and then they look to the past because they think that that's better and they could have done they, they they're just more interested in that than they are in the present they don't live in that present but he ultimately comes to that point where he's like he's willing to he realizes that the realizes that nostalgia doesn't his nostalgia his love for the past though it gives him knowledge in how to be a better writer and do what he does like do what he wants to do and gives him a little boost because he speaks to all of his heroes and gets all this advice at the same time he ultimately realizes also through pursuing whatever this relationship with uh with the with them what's her name adriana adriana Adriana. yeah so he he realizes this isn't where like he's he's he is living in the past and it isn't a golden age and he ultimately makes a golden age out of his own life he just realizes how to do it which is letting go of this relationship that he's in denial about um getting rid of the security of his career that he's worked on that really isn't serving him but has helped him to a certain extent to get to the point where he wants to write novels like writing serving his writing career um his future dream uh and then he and he well just, it he, was his dream as a kid that's established at the beginning as well right right says, yeah if i stayed here i could have had a shot at being a real at, at literature yeah so he ultimately he comes full he comes full circle and realizes that you know everything that while it's it's a it's a source of inspiration but it's not his motivation uh his ultimate motivation is not to live in the past and stay there it's to make something of the present 
right? Yeah, exactly. And and make his own old golden era. Whew. Well, and that's the idea of of the underworld, right? And that's why we see it so much in in classical literature is that you go there to get the wisdom that you need to live correctly in the present. Right. And that's what Odysseus does. He goes and he he meets with Tiresias and Tiresias tells him, "You will make it home. You can do it, but it will be very difficult." And he lists the trials that he'll have to face. So that's the main piece of advice, and that's essentially what he gets. That's the role that Gertrude Stein plays in the film, because Gill's novel serves as a representation of his own life, right? He's taking his life to his heroes and saying, do I have what it takes? Like, he's looking for validation from them. All right. And then the Hemingway character functions as Achilles. So when Odysseus interacts with Achilles, Achilles tells him, um Odysseus first praises him he says you must be so happy that you know you've achieved what you wanted in life and which Achilles's goal was to he exchanged fame on earth for immortality right that was his to his name to last forever as they say in the movie Troy uh but then Achilles tells Odysseus I'd rather slave on earth for a, for a tyrant than rule down here over all the dead so there's the valuation of the present over this um this fantasy of of not struggling essentially right odysseus praises the struggle of life over death so that's the piece that he gets from hemingway okay you really did your homework dan I did. I wrote a lot about yeah. it. I thought, like I said. So where did you end up? Where thought. did you end up finding this, like this parallel? Was it because you uh, you'd read the Odyssey and you're like, oh, this is interesting, or did you find some uh, s- some somewhere some source that said that this was loosely based off of that? Uh, I didn't find anyone in any of my research that said that it was based on the Odyssey. Right. Did you find the so, script? No, no. I I've just I've seen the movie, so I've watched this film upwards of twenty times. Whoa! And then the one years. day you were like, "Hey, this is like the Odyssey," and yeah, he, he sails occasionally in this ship, but ultimately, he ultimately well, the things the places he lands, because he like how many? Well, he constantly is revisiting the yes. underworld but uh, yep. odysseus only goes there once yes and that's okay um uh, so i did i did some work um who's it um that's not to take away from it it does seem like this no. is a perfect parallel so obviously i wonder what woody what allen is? would say would woody allen be like he'd be like super impressed he's like that's exactly what i was doing dan well i hope so but uh woody allen is very difficult to say anything about his own films he just sits in silence yeah, he doesn't like to talk about them very much. But I, I found one where he was talking about the other film, The Purple Rose of Cairo. Which is very similar to this movie. Similar in its themes, right? Yeah. It's someone escaping their reality yeah, by going to, to the cinema. Sorry to interrupt you, but no, I just ahead, remember please, that please. people, like a lot of people that I talked about this film, they didn't like it because they said it was too similar to Purple Rose of Cairo. But I don't think so. Like, yeah. Even when the themes are similar, like the idea is different. Maybe like he was in, improving on that. Yeah, I think so because the other one is more focused in in love, love as a whole, and this is more about a dream, hmm. like a job or like I don't know. I think it's more 
the the subject on Midnight in Paris is a bit more broad than the Purple you, Rose of Cairo. What do you guys think? Like, I thought that it was interesting, like how, uh, um, th- how Gil and uh, Inez is that right? I always yeah. forget. Yeah, she's like how lightly they treat her affair. Like it's like nothing. Yeah, it's she treats it. Yeah. Well, no. So does he? Like he, but he like kind of. It's the it's this interesting reveal. Like he's written about. He's obviously used par- like in like uh, ideas from his own life to influence, his novel, um, essentially in Inez, and then and like he uses, and, and then uh, like he realizes through Gertrude that he's like that his writing is reflecting his his is reflecting on his own life and ultimately yeah. a character that is inspired by his fiance and yeah. he's upset by it but in the end he's really not in the end and it's just kind of treated very like Matt it's just like it kind of just happens and he kind of just uses it as a bit of an out it's not like a he he almost it's 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 just kind of like yeah okay uh I'm I I'll just do the conventional thing about this which is I'll I'll leave but I I kind of thought that whole scene was kind of interesting interesting because she kind of just throws it away and he treats yeah. it sort of seriously but not that seriously and he's just he, he treats the breakup like she treats the yeah. treats the affair which is just like yeah I'm I'm done like I'm out well that's the that's the whole thing right um there's a scene when she's looking at wedding rings with her mom yeah and they she the mom questions her and she's she goes she's about to say like do you really want to marry him she says i don't i don't want to hear it but she doesn't say anything about that she loves him right she says um he's smart and he's successful those are her two requirements right and then gil has the same conversation with hemingway hemingway says have you ever made love to a truly great woman and he goes well my fiance is pretty sexy (laughs) <laughs> it's not the same thing. Yeah. And then in the scene with Adrian Brody, I always think of Alex when I watch that scene. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> the beauty. Uh, right? In that scene, he says... Um, I would consider that a cameo, said, almost. Do you love her? Do you love her? He says, well, I think I love her. I mean, I bet her. I'm marrying her, right? So he, his feeling toward her is ambivalent. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then at the beginning, this is another thing I point out in my paper. Uh, <laughs> she says to him, you hear it over the credits. They're talking about moving to Paris and everything. And she says, you're in love with a fantasy. And he says, I'm in love with you, which correlates to it's the idea a fantasy. of fantasy. Yeah. yeah. Her, their relationship is a fantasy. Yeah. Yeah. But it's like pretty, it's obvious from the beginning that, you know, they're just together because it's the right thing to do. Like it work it on paper it works but yeah, it doesn't like, work in real life. Like you said, she's looking for someone successful and yeah. with money, and he's yeah. both but she things. Has so. such a high level of resent for him. It's uh, yeah, yeah, because they're not they're not a good match. Yeah, one is a complete artist, and she is someone who's only she's like a Kardashian. Yeah. <laughs> and they're all just like yeah like in every aspect are you saying the kardashians are not artists Alex? i'm terribly sorry i'm terribly sorry that show is high art they're amazing <laughs> the kardashians are my heroes um yeah. <laughs> again pre that was like that was the 2010s 
when they rose to And that's why the 2000s are better than the, exactly, the current era. Yes. Because the Kardashians weren't there. <laughs> uh, we need to yeah, go back I think in it time. was two, yeah, 2011 was when they started like really popping off. They had their show. Man, they have years. like 20 seasons on their show, I think. Oh, that's man, crazy. what a load of crap. Um, yeah, so essentially in early on in this film, no one's living re- in reality. Like Gil is living in a fantasy land and it's becoming highly exposed by the fact that they're in Paris where he wished he never left and had actually stayed and pursued his career of being a literary artist. Yeah. And uh, Rachel McAdams also is like not living in reality. Like everybody's living in this kind of, well, hell at the same time. Like they're all kind of living this unfulfilling life and trying to convince themselves that they're they're doing okay and uh and and they're and they're all escaping to like rachel mcadams is escaping with paul michael sheen's character um and like obviously living this kind of fantasy cheating as well at the same time owen wilson's escaping and uh, potentially cheating as well with uh, Adriana like everybody's just mm-hmm. kind of like re- has their kind of start points their little safety bubbles that they expand out to and like their f- their fantasy bubbles and then they go off to their own kind of fantasy lands and ultimately the only person who breaks into reality is Owen Wilson Gill at the mm-hmm. end well you see um, the, it's actually the character of Gabrielle the, the woman that he meets at yeah. the the shop she's, she's so the one nice. who is grounded in reality right so she lives in the present but she has a you know, nostalgia uh, shop. You, <laughs> exactly yeah but this is the thing though it's like she lives very much in today but yeah. she has an appreciation for the past so she's a current real person right? she, has she has a hum- she really does yeah the spiritual home she has a humility right? and, as well yeah and so in the odyssey we have penelope who's odysseus's wife and she's waiting at home for him to come back and she's preserving the culture of Ithaca without him. Mm. And that's essentially what, what Gabrielle is doing in this nostalgia shop, right? She's got all the, the Cole Porter records and she's thinking of him when he's not there. And then once Gil finally is able to uh, l- um, say no to, to his fantasies and, and reject the temptations of these goddesses, he makes it home to his Penelope, yeah. his Gabrielle. Right. Interesting. What do you yeah. think of uh, the museum guide? Like, what, what is she, what's she kind of? Oh, with served? the scene with Carla Bruni when yeah, he constantly the, the revisits break. her for like a yeah. a truth check all the time, right? Like she's she kind of serves as this I don't know this reality. Like she she's she's the knowledgeable one as well. Like Kathy Gertrude's yeah. quite, uh, she's she's quite she's knowledgeable in like on his literate literary like work, but like uh, the museum guide Carla Bruni, she kind of just like does her she's she serves as something to kind of course correct as well for yeah. for yeah. for him, right? Like she's like, well, oh no, Paul's kind of an idiot. He doesn't really know what he's talking about. He's stubborn. I can't remember the word she uses for him, but like he is the pedantic, the fellow. pedantic, pedantic fellow. Like she's, she's kind of rooted in reality as well. And Owen Wilson yeah. comes to her for like, just 
for him to to course correct him and guide him as well but she also reads out the french diary uh of adriana as well so she's caught it which sets him on another course as well which ultimately serves him sadness but uh another reality check too right like he tries to fulfill this kind of prophetic thing of his future in the past but it doesn't actually pan out well she like you just said like she's a museum guide right so that's that's her she serves as to indicate the markers by which he he's his path is traveling right she affirms him she affirms like nobody else sees that uh michael sheen is pedantic and and ridiculous she's the only one so she reinforces uh owen wills gill's um perspective right so she just indicates to him at certain points that he's on the right track yeah right so that's her function in the film and what do you think of zelda's function in the film like she kind of has this they have this kind of moment where she's she wants i don't know what she wants to do i mean she's gonna jump into the (laughs) into the water and do what i mean it's not that drown herself i guess so it didn't seem a a bridge would have served better jumping off the eiffel tower it was a non-committal suicide attempt in my opinion but uh drama yeah well there there's that element but she's to like it he he like owen wilson's like i know with absolute certainty that uh fitzgerald really is like he he doesn't like scott fitzgerald doesn't he's not mad he he does love yes. you right like so yes i yeah. i kind of i i i should watch that scene a little more carefully but what did you think of that that uh actually meant for the the progress of the storyline and pushing that forward well th- that's the scene where he reveals that he's engaged to Adriana. Oh, that's right? true. So it, but there's so much more heavy weightedness on them stopping her from what she's doing. Um, yeah, you know, I, I'm not too certain on that particular scene. I know that the engagement it's happens of, in the next reality. scene in the bar, right? No, he says, um, she says, you carry medicine. And he goes, oh, just since I got oh, engaged. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. And then they go to the bar and she says, you never told me you were engaged. I guess that would be the, getting married. the key turn there. Just some drama to reveal that. Yeah. Okay. Never yeah. mind. But it, it is reflective of the of the characters, right? It shows that he's done the research and that Zelda Fitzgerald actually did go insane. Like It, it was proven. And uh, I just read Hemingway's autobiography as well, Movable Feast, which a lot of the film is taken from in some aspects. Right. And and they there's a whole couple of chapters where it talks about Hemingway's relationship with Scott Fitzgerald and, and Zelda Fitzgerald and how she was like she was an alcoholic and just totally crazy. And he actually had her committed, but she was totally jealous of his work and his life and his talent and was a huge distraction. So Hemingway believed that Fitzgerald never reached his potential because of her but he did love her and uh in the book Hemingway says that uh there was a conversation he recalls where Fitzgerald says that he'd never been with another woman besides Zelda and they had waited till they got married and everything so they're very old-fashioned in that Mm. but then I think Zelda I think Zelda had an affair with someone in Paris so it was a very dysfunctional relationship Oh, I'm learning stuff. Sorry to hear that. Yeah, well, he had her committed, and then he, uh, his last, 
Fitzgerald's last novel was uh, it was incomplete. I think it's um, A Place in the Sun. And I've read some of it, but it's uh, it doesn't reach quite to the level of, of Gatsby or Beautiful and Damned. I love these authors. I've read so much of their stuff. I know. <laughs> I know you do. <laughs> and I'm sure our listeners and not, not just are from this, 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 this course, but like over the years, I started reading Fitzgerald and Hemingway in like 2014, I think. Yeah, I know yeah. you love it. I know you love it. But anyway, it. back to the story. Back to the movie. Um, I think it was it was uh, what's his name? T. S. Eliot, who he meets in the car one night, right? T.S. Eliot wrote a paper on Ulysses, the poem written by um, James Joyce in the 1917 or something like that, about how James Joyce used the structure of the Odyssey for his book Ulysses. And Ulysses and Odysseus is the Greek and Roman name for the same character. So he wrote a paper and he just justified that the use of the myth and the, the reconfiguration of the myth is a perfectly normal and valid thing to do. And actually you see that even in Virgil and and. Virgil was the Roman poet who wrote um, the Aeneid. He used he took Odysseus's story. Oh, hang on a minute. It was uh, it was actually Dante. Sorry, Dante takes Odysseus's story and transforms it and takes that character in his arc and makes him something different from the end of the Odyssey. That's the end of the Odyssey in his poem in um, what's it called? Uh, the Inferno. So it's okay to play with the structure, right, and the going back and forth between the underworld multiple times is perfectly f- fine in keeping with structure. Mm-hmm. As long as the elements are the same and are true. How many wows were in this film? By Owen wow. Wilson? Yeah, well, <laughs> it's a classic Owen Wilson. Wow. He did have one where he's like, wow. Wow, wow. I, know, I did catch one wow. I don't know if there were a ton. There was a lot. Yeah, yeah there's a lot, yeah. Wow. What I love is that like, he's playing woody allen pretty much but they're so yeah. alike like they're so awkward both of them like they're the, if they are the same person uh, well that's what some some critics said that you know it's, it's woody allen is he's playing woody allen's character yeah. and the fact that he wears the the chinos or whatever those pants yeah. are that he wears are symbolic of woody allen yeah and the fear of and death that could be when fair he mentions right? the fear of death. but he yeah. does that a lot like in any hall yeah, yeah. he's he yeah. bases his characters a lot in who he is like even in what's Absolutely. that movie whatever works i don't know if you guys saw it it's pretty funny too about this like angry old man who hates life and yeah. falls in love with an underage girl. <laughs> i find it hilarious but it, it's it's like him yeah it's just like him yeah oh whatever works that was with larry david yeah yeah i did see that one yeah yeah the casting um, is pretty good in this as far as like who looks great. like who. Yeah. Er, I watched Annie I watched Annie Hall recently as well the other night and um I I don't know like who would you could see why people would like Annie Hall but you cannot see why people would enjoy being with Woody Allen. Like he's so miserable and he's so annoying. Woody yeah, Allen is? Just, yeah. There's nothing like romantic or charming about him as a person. Woody he's Allen always he's, bitching about everything. Yeah, he's, like his I always pictu- Alvi, oh, his yeah. character Alvi is like, it's awful. I always just <laughs> picture no that. I wonder if Annie leaves him. I, I love just... the scene when they're going to try cocaine. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and he sneezes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, how much is that worth? It's about $2,000. <laughs> <laughs> That's all the cocaine everywhere. 
Uh, I always just picture that the Simpsons episode with Woody Allen where they they have the Simpsons. Uh, <laughs> we always come back to the Simpsons. They have the uh, they have the the Simpsons uh, behind the laughter, and they someone oh, creates a yeah. whole or Woody. Who's the country singer with the pigtails? Uh, Woody Nelson. Woody Nelson like oh, yeah. creates this like fake award show to bring the the Woodies I think it is to bring the Simpsons <laughs> back together as a family and he may like he surprises them by like making them all like part of the uh, hosting and like Woody right. Allen wins all these awards and he's got like this island like <laughs> Woody Nelson goes up and he's like I'm sorry but the Woodies are a fake and Woody Allen's like I knew it was too good to be true <laughs> just. <laughs> 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 and just throws all of his awards away. It's a beautiful moment. And Alan is notorious for not accepting awards or going to award <laughs> ceremonies. But he did take all of these yeah. ones. That's so it's funny. so funny. It's I knew it true. was too good to be true. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so good. But to me, Owen Wilson as the Woody Allen character is way more tolerable than Alvy Singer. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So... I don't. Know, maybe it's just a, a a quality in the actor, but I I couldn't stand Alfie. No, me neither. Me neither. But I think that's the point. Like you yeah. have to feel more empathy towards uh, Gil. He's a nicer person. Yeah, Gil's you, a nice guy, and you yeah. feel for him because his girlfriend yeah. is not a nice person, and you know that yeah. he's feeling trapped with this family and with the whole mm-hmm. marriage situation. On the other hand, you know you're like poor Diane Keaton. Like, how can she handle this yeah. guy? Like, yeah. he's so annoying, and he's always like, I remember, I don't, I don't know if it's in that movie when he starts talking about death, and he's so mm-hmm. obsessive about it. Yeah, like, dude, you just shut up and leave the moment. Well, there's a scene where they're moving, she's moving out, and they're sorting books, and she goes, "Oh yeah, anything with death in the title, you gave me." He's <laughs> like, well, I think it's an important issue. <laughs> <laughs> this is a fantastic movie like i really can't think of anything bad about it yeah everything is beautiful so um we mentioned the purple rose of cairo earlier and one of the things that critics jumped on was that the link between the two films um but the, the one comment i found was somebody was talking about nostalgia right which comes up in both movies this idea of escaping but Woody Allen said about Purple Rose of Cairo, which I think is equally true about um, Midnight in Paris, is he said, I see Purple Rose of Cairo as a, as a much darker movie than what people see it as, right? Because they chalked yeah. it up to, you know, nostalgia for cinema and the golden age and that. He said, I, th- I see it as a much darker theme. It's a, it's a movie about a woman forced to choose between fantasy and reality. And yeah. ultimately, she chooses reality. Right. And that's that theme is a hundred percent true in this same movie in uh, Midnight in Paris. Yeah. So that's what it's about, and I think all these things is what you know started to recognize and piece this, these. I think I think it's so interesting. Like I almost would say that him doing two movies on that is uh, well even more interesting because it's almost ahead of what of what we've become as a culture. Like we so very we so very much live in this nostalgic state like i know mm. many would argue it's like what are you talking about like we got all that we're 
we're so 20 2010s 2020s or whatever like we, we've got all these new things but no like style is extremely nostalgic like there's really yeah. very the more we've progressed into the 2010s which is why i still think the 2000s are so great is that uh well, we were in high school then too so we yeah really whatever have a lot of responsibility well if, whatever <laughs> but like this this like everything is yeah. so quickly like style everything is like so inspired mm -hmm. by the past like even cinema yeah. is like it's just a hollywood's become this nostalgia like just like circling back on itself over and over and over again like just look at star wars there i did it i did it i made the transition oh <laughs> we're doing it go. uh but Good. it's just it's this it's this it's kind of trash at the same time it's like no one's our society's kind of gone into this like perpetual state of nostalgic remakes and over yeah. like redoing like they even say that like fashion industry is like cycled through the 70s 60 what 60 yeah. 70s 80s 90s within like a f like a couple years whereas it's like styles oh, yeah, used yeah, to yeah. take forever to kind of come back mm -hmm. right like but now yeah. information is fed so quickly and people just are like so much about like the stuff that they loved growing up i mean i'm living nostalgically by saying the 2000s are the the golden age but everybody's kind of trying trying to just return to their youth owen wilson's going as many steps further and decades back because he's just a well-read artist but like and he loves these art these fellow writers that he wants to be like but like at the yeah. same time like he he's kind of the the idea of nostalgia uh just like nostalgia as a theme is a very interesting one because I feel like it's become even more and more prominent, even within Hollywood. Like people don't want to see new stuff. The '90s were no, an interesting don't. time for cinema because, like, it was just like this wild west of filmmaking, where like the mm -hmm. technology was getting like so good, and obviously there yeah. were novels that people were making into movies, which is kind of this recurring kind of thing like has this story been proven to sell yeah we'll make a movie of it jurassic park being one of these but like the terminator uh like all these like like yeah. films that are huge even predator when arnold another arnold schwarzenegger film there's like yeah but and like uh whatever uh armageddon like deep impact like all these like random 90s films it's just like we're just gonna throw stuff out there and see what works whereas like <laughs> Now it's just like, okay, we're only going to make stuff that people just like keep talking about and can't get over and are living in the past yeah. about. We're just going to do it a little bit better with the technology w that we have. And that's what everybody's doing now. We live in this nostalgic generation where it's like, we're just making things better with the technology w that we have. We're just like making our careers as like influencers. Uh, we're being better models and like using the inf the stuff we've seen to like recreate the things we've always like been influenced by. But now it's my turn yeah. to use it. Like it's just this hand me down culture that we live in that no one's choosing to actually live in reality. They're not choosing to like do their own thing. Most people are just nostalgic mimics, and it's just uh, mm -hmm. and and not referencing that or being honest about it. I'm being very real, like right now, and getting a little bit too heavy on this. But That's awesome. I do think no, that I, it's I, interesting I, I, I that Woody Allen you. has like taken this theme, and uh, it was kind of at the cusp of things really hitting that stride. Uh, I and I, I do really like this film because of the nostalgia idea, uh, and I do think that it's extremely prominent. And especially now in Hollywood, like mm. crazy in Hollywood. But it's, it's and they don't so make original people... films like that. 
Yeah, but they're not. They're not going to because we, well, not us, but we, this generation and the generations to come, they just wanna see stuff that they already seen. Yeah, they're not up for anything new. Like it's it's awful when you go to a theater and you have twenty movies. Well, you never have twenty movies. I said something stupid, but like it's like you, eight movies. Yeah, there. but you go. I don't know. It's made. Let's go back to last year yeah. and Endgame comes out. Endgame is in it's showing up in 15, 15 theaters and yeah. a random movie is just showing up in one and nobody goes to see that one because they are not willing to give it a try because mm-hmm. they know Avengers is going to be a good experience and they've been growing with these characters and they don't want to bet on anything new. And before, I think people really wanted to see different things. And that's why producers were betting on different projects. Right now, it's really a financial risk for them. Yeah. And the interesting thing is in Hollywood, you don't see a lot of risk taking. Like I always think of uh, films like, um, who directed Ex Machina again? I forgot. Um, I forgot his name. But um, like, you, you, Ex, Ex Machina. Machina, yeah. sorry. <laughs> yeah. uh, but like, Films like that, they kind of feel like these. They're like they're they're popular, but they're these these art house kind of films. That was based off a book Garland. series as well. But like, I find this movie that this movie kind of interesting at the same time because like it's a bit of a backhand to Hollywood at the same time, and and, and cinematic screenplay writing. He literally does not want to be part of this scene. He's like, I will I will yeah. turn down yeah. jobs because I see the true art form as being the novelist the person who yep. is the 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 writer that essentially inspires most cinema like i, I mentioned jurassic park mm-hmm. I, like all of these things like he sees these as the root of like original art of uh, of the voices of generations films are kind of like these they're they they they're so driven by producers and uh, what will and marketing like what will what will be successful what will sell. Owen Wilson had oh, Gill wants nothing to do with this scene whatsoever. He wants to be, he wants to be the the voice that is of a generation of a of well like he he's want he wants to find a voice. He doesn't want to reference yeah. literature. He wants to be referenced. And yeah. uh, he, he, he's actually a, he's in opposition to his own career. He doesn't respect his own career, which is screenplay writing. He calls it easy. Uh, and, uh, and like, yeah. he, he... Which it's not, but... It's not, yeah. and that's true. But, like, it is kind well, of this, like... It, he, I find it interesting. It's a, it's a film about wanting to be... To leave screenplay writing to go to what he considers to be the ultimate art form of writing, which is being a novelist. Yeah. Well, it's really it's really him wanting to struggle, right? He sees the value in, in struggling for something greater. Mm-hmm. That's what it's really about, right? That's yeah. what he's trying to get away from is, is the ease of the, you know, the fantasy, the ease of the island with, you know, his hot, sexy fiance. <laughs> right. He wants to struggle and he wants to push himself against the heroes of the past. He right. wants the we, all do, we all try and measure up. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I do see but, a lot of this kind of, the, a lot of interesting things in this film that are like, yeah, of, of course, based around nostalgia and all that type of yeah. stuff. But uh, Yeah, but they resonate a lot right now. And I've been seeing a lot of kids like in their 
early, well, not even early 20s, like they're 17, 18. And they have nostalgia for things that they don't even know about. Yeah. Like right <laughs> now, so like something stupid, like, oh, Jordan sneakers. Like, man, you weren't even alive when Jordan was playing. Right. Like, yeah. it makes no yeah. sense that you are obsessed with that if you don't yeah. even know what, what it is. Jordan sneak. I watched yeah. the documentary on Jordan sneakers, mm-hmm. not the not the one that's on Netflix. There was a like another uh, feature uh, documentary, yep. and it's uh, I don't know if we've talked about this, but I thought it was I've so the one about uh, Tinker Hatfield. No, it was just like straight up about the Jordan ones. Oh, okay, okay. It's just an interesting story, yeah. but like you have all these like people that are like have an incredible amount of nostalgia around that shoe. That shoe is never like people people have been buying that shoe nonstop, but um. Like the the dude, hang on, hang on. Before you continue, I went online after the 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 Michael Jordan documentary came out, and I was like, I can see if we get a pair of those Jordan ones. Sold out everywhere. You know, <laughs> yeah. you know how many I have. <laughs> well, I'm sure. Yeah, I know you have the ones from Spider Man. I have I have thirty like thirty something <laughs> Jordan Jesus. ones. Jesus, thirty something Jordan ones. I'd probably yeah. skate no skateboard in those things and shred them to pieces. <laughs> yeah, I don't care. Like I would like they're pretty comfortable for skating. I got my first pair of those. I think like in two. They were like they the, are built more like a skate. They shoe, were right? yeah. most built on a converse. Yeah, like converse they background. they designed an, another version called SB Dunk, like SB yeah. Dunk High. That is like a Jordan one, pretty much, but with more cushioning. Mm-hmm. But it's pretty much right. the same shoe. The dunk was a was a skate shoe. So was the Jordan one. Like before yeah. skate shoes were around, like most guys yeah. were just like picking yeah. up Converse and stuff like that. And uh, yeah. the Jordan one became an extremely like popular shoe. So a lot of shoes were built off of that design uh, in the skate yeah. world, anyways. So it was. That's it, a really but anyway. Cool you, you were going on about something. Oh, continue. I was just saying, like the nostalgia of uh, of like such uh, something like that. It can be so silly. Like uh, I not to. I know the shoes are cool. Sorry, Alex. But uh, I remember watching the documentary, and yeah. towards the end, like it was kind of this like self. Re- it was kind of this like self uh, deprecating, but also elevating thing that everybody did. It's like I know it's just a shoe. But it's a great shoe. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like everybody's like yeah. like built their life around this shoe. And I was watching the documentary. Yeah. I'm like, there's a lot of really cool stuff here. Like Jordan's career is built around. There's so much drama. The NBA banned the shoe, yeah. like because it was against like uniform and all that type of stuff. It's a it's a fascinating thing because it's like it's but it's an incredible part of like Jordan's rookie year as well, like his launch into the NBA. Yeah. But like you bring in all these like celebrities who have like they just like lived their life around this shoe or like it's defined yeah. an era in their life. And it's so funny, but like, and at the end they're all kind of just like, like being honest about that. But at the same time, they're like embracing it. And it's just like, yeah, this whole documentary is about like a bunch of fabric uh, glued to a vulcanized soul. Like, I don't yeah. know what, yeah. what and is they going on right for, now for $2,000 <laughs> and people go and pay for it. Yeah. Did you guys watch the Life According to Jeff Goldblum? Yeah. yeah. No, I haven't. I, I should watch that. that. You should watch it. It's a really great series. First of all, I'll say that I think Jeff Goldblum is perhaps like <laughs> the most charming guy ever. Yeah, he's, he's so amazing. hilarious. Uh, I, he's so hilarious and he he's finds so everything, enjoyable. The, he finds everything fascinating. Yeah. yeah. Who's the do- who's the stand-up comedian who does a really fun I think it's uh Frank Caliendo. He's just like he does this great impersonation of he's like ah, 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 ah. I 
I like hot dogs. <laughs> like <Yeah. laughs> something That's pretty good too, Jeff. Something uh, it's something okay. like that. It's like oh, yeah. you, you like mustard? <laughs> yeah. It's just like this statement about like <laughs> Goldblum talking about how much he likes hot dogs. Yeah. Frank Caliendo is probably before, one of my favorite stand-up comedians. Also had a rise in the early 2000s. That's right. Mad uh, TV. I, I think I've said it before, but if if you guys haven't, I, you need to go and listen to the Conan O'Brien, Jeff Goldblum podcast. I'm sure it's, it's fantastic. Well, it's Conan's podcast. I'm going to check it out. Normally it starts off with like, um, Conan says, um, they come on and they're like, hi, I'm Jeff Goldblum. I'm, I feel, and then they just insert a word like, ecstatic about being conan's friend or whatever it's usually hilarious people say like i feel hesitant or something <laughs> it's usually pretty funny but jeff goldblum talks for three minutes about how he feels about being conan's friend and it's one of the funniest things i've ever heard because he just starts riffing all over the place he <laughs> just, just yeah. builds and builds and builds like it's amazing everywhere i love i love yeah. like independence day him and that is just such mm-hmm. a funny weird yeah <laughs> Because Jeff, Will Smith is wait, trying so Jeff hard Goldblum to be cool. Is in any all the hole, time. Right? Yeah, yeah, he's yeah, the guy on the phone. Yeah, yeah. He calls yeah. his uh, his psychologist or whatever. He's like, "Hey, I forgot my mantra." <laughs> One line, <laughs> and it moves on. <laughs> I love him. It's hilarious. I love him. <laughs> oh wow! I, I didn't know we need to do that movie too. Yeah, he's Welcome he's one of Earth. my favorite persons in Hollywood, really. Yeah, but anyway, he does the, the episode on sneakers. Yeah. Jeff Goldblum goes and explores the the sneakerhead world, and there's guys making deals for like thirty grand for a pair of sneakers. Yeah. It's crazy. Oh, and it's this whole under, world, underground man. thing. It's it's nuts. But then the guy, some famous shoe guy, makes him his own pair of sneakers. Oh yeah, the the it's called the shoe surgeon. Yeah. Yeah, the guy charges like he makes custom sneakers, and they charge they can charge you up to five thousand dollars for a pair. It's insane. Wow. I was thinking of the Entourage episode with a. Uh, yeah. Was it Fukuyama? Yeah, Fujama, yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever his name is. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, back to the film. Johnny, you mentioned the whole, like, hating the Hollywood thing. Um, obviously, Woody Allen's from New York, and he, you see it in Annie Hall all the time. There's the back and forth between L.A. and New York, and he's always trying to get Annie to come back to New York because there's this whole disdain for some reason. And you see it with Seinfeld and Bill Burr and all these people who grew up on the East Coast. They, they really hate Hollywood in the way that it functions. And I think there's an idea that that's very relevant in the East coast actors, performers, uh, scene that like true art happens in New York, right. Where they have the theater and like real performance and all that stuff. And then the artificial Hollywood takes place in the West. Yeah. So you kind of, you see that in Gil as well. So interesting that, that you have those two different scenes and they're on ab- absolutely opposite ends of america northeast southwest it's so funny that they're actually yeah it's they're complete opposites of each other in a way yeah yeah this is this has been a deep conversation it has we talked about jordan once not star wars yeah yeah jordan once well I'm impressed. Like I, I got a like going back to journal once. It was really funny. Like I made a video for a company, and the owner was really happy with it. He's like, "Man, I, you like sneakers," and he gave me a pair of off-white sneakers. 
and I what? didn't know what it was really. Like I had he no idea. Gave them to you? Yeah, he's like, man, I think this is your size, and I hope you like them. And a friend sees them, and he's like, man, those shoes are like three thousand dollars. <laughs> like, what? what? Is it the white ones you have? Yeah, no, I'll I'll show them to you. They're called they're Jordan ones of white. Yeah, and yeah, I think you sent me pictures of those ones. Cool. I I did. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, well, well, he gave them to me. I'm like, um, that's awesome. I probably should sell them. And I'm like, no, they're nice. I'm gonna keep. Them. <laughs> yeah, you should keep those. Well, Alex loves to collect. Yeah, I, I love know. to collect, but I was yeah. I was like impressed when I saw they go for three thousand. I'm like, this is so stupid. Like, why would you pay that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, value. Yeah. No, like, I know. It, like, it's, it's like it's like art in the same way, right? Like, you know. In Midnight in Paris, they're talking about Picasso's. No, I, I, I know, but like the way I see it here, it's like the difference between yeah. art and that is like, I think even when they tell you that they're only going to make like 10,000 shoes, they're still yeah. mass produced and there's not really like, like changing the color where I'm not trying to diminish the aspect of sneakers, but mm -hmm. they are like mass factory made. They're not like... Yeah. A piece of art like that's unique. The, the Sue shirt, shoe well, surgeon they guy. Are, yeah, they exactly. are well made, like, and they are designed by a designer. Like, I, I kind of yeah. have gotten a little bit into shoe culture because I, I skateboard, and like the shoe scene is a big part of that. And like most skateboarders that are like making good money are big shoe collectors. Yeah, uh, no, like, and I, I, I understand Austin that part. And but... all those guys, they're huge into like the Jordan ones too because they grew up using those. But like yeah yeah there's definitely speaking of Eric Carson and shoes but I, I, like, I will be nostalgic because he had great shoes with ES he did for a long his time were inspired in by 2000s. Jordans yeah he had great shoes I he just did. think that and I do miss those it's it was S Dan it's S insane that he's on Nike now Costin he had the Costin ones and twos now I think he's on threes I would pay yeah, I a lot for too. a shoe surgeon shoes but I yeah. don't think I would pay two thousand dollars for a pair of sneakers that were Dang. 160 on retail hold the phone here alex. dan did you own costins no i never did i just love the design because i had the s catalog i used yeah. to wear s's yeah. exclusively i know yeah i never I wore dc i never yeah that's right you're a big dc guy i i never ended up yeah. buying i could never, I could never get, get my get hands into on the costins I, I didn't like the costins they looked too much like an athletic shoe but now i like wearing athletic looking shoes it was a later 2000s one when they sort of had gone a little bit more toward the, um, yeah, the athletic-looking shoe. It, it was thinner. It wasn't the big bulky it one. It had a bit of an arch yeah. to it, like it had a yeah. like in the in the in the like the actual foot arch. It, it was weird. It wasn't yeah. fl as flat-soled as most other shoes. Yeah, yeah. But anyways, yeah. The 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 nostalgia. What were we talking about? The New York the versus uh, L.A. and the Hollywood hate. Yeah. Um. I don't think it was Hollywood hate. It was just kind of interesting in the film where they were just like, I I thought that that was an interesting aspect. It's like it was a, it was a, a movie that explored the just like the right the art of writing and how it was, I don't know, like the nostalgia around that. But like his his ultimate goal was to escape screenwriting. Like he didn't respect it that much. Even though, like, the, obviously it is an art form and it's an amazing art form and it takes great writers to do it. But he's like, he felt like he had tapped that out. 
he is like i've done everything i can within screenwriting this isn't where i want to be Mm. i see i ultimately see being a novelist as the more respectable profession whether and especially struggling within that as well too but he didn't feel like he struggled with screenplay work he well i think i think the what's really happening there is that i think he is um he's he's become resentful of himself that he has compromised right because at the beginning he's talking about if i had just stayed here when i was a young man always all about if I, i don't get back here often enough right so i think that's what it that's more what it is is that he's become he's upset with himself for having compromised his dream and his identity his artistic integrity you know, he really want yeah exactly i think that's what it's about in that sense interesting paris is nice sort of yeah what was cool remember when we were there we we were walking around that one night yep. and um you and i spent midnight said, in paris yeah that's right <laughs> it was n- not it j- <laughs> i said this to Jono. i think we were standing in front of the eiffel tower at one point during the day i said well i don't think you were the person i imagined coming to paris with for the first time but uh i'm glad you're here anyway (laughs) i even had a girlfriend at the time i was like what am i doing here (laughs) (laughs) i I remember that we were there for eric's we were there for eric's wedding it was like the it was it was a last minute decision for me it was nice we had a good time you guys want to read the movie the bus well, hey, God, I just want to say that we were walking around and we were trying to, John only had one night there or one day in Paris. So we were trying to, you know, see as much as we could. And so we're walking around and we'd, we'd had dinner and we'd seen the Louvre from the outside and just walked around and done a bunch of stuff. And uh, we were exhausted, but John, we we're walking down on the, the left bank there. And Jono said, I just really want to see the Eiffel Tower at midnight. I was like, all right. So we walked down and we actually ended up standing on the Pont Neuf, which is where the, the film ends, right? And he walks across with Gabrielle on the Pont Neuf. And then the, the Eiffel Tower goes and the light it all lights up. And I didn't know that that was a real thing, honestly. <laughs> and then it happened. I was like, oh, hey. It was pretty <laughs> rad. It's a real thing. It's lighting up and it flashes and does all that for a couple of minutes. Yeah. So. Uh, well, you and I had walked. So we, we walked the whole day. So we took that bus tour. Yeah. And then we ended up walking forever. And I remember, like, we were yeah. trying to, like, get as far up as we could, as close to the Eiffel Tower. And yeah. I was, I had literally, like, the worst blisters. Like, I couldn't yeah. walk anymore. It was so bad. I've never experienced yeah. that, in, like, in my life. My shoes were just so... It was exhausting. Yeah, I was exhausted. We literally were walking around Paris all freaking day. And like at yeah, that point, it was, it was just like, humid oh man, like I, I yeah. like we just, I just wanted to see the Eiffel Tower doing its thing, and we saw it during the day. It's yeah. a gong show. It was not like yes. an experience like I really like can say I super <laughs> enjoyed. Uh, yeah. it, but like that was just so funny because like we ended up I think at like near a train station like uh at the at, like there, and we were just kind of like oh all right let's just stand here and look. And then go to that train station, yeah. and I was my feet were just like completely destroyed. Yeah, yeah. Paris is all right. So lost cool. that day, I, though. I remember trying to get to the airport yeah. the next day. I was like, I hope I can get there. <laughs> <laughs> just like, yeah. yeah, it's a cool city. I would never go again at that time of year. Yeah, I would go in September, March, or something like oh, that. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Never, never in July. I can't say I fell in love with Paris. 
Sorry. <laughs> well, I see. I had the whole day there the next day after when you left, and I went. I made the mistake of going in the Louvre, and that was a shit show. I would never recommend that yeah. because Musée d'Orsay was across the street, and that's where the Picassos and the um, the Monets and everything are. The art that you're more familiar with, I think right. we are anyway. Hey, uh, this is all like Renaissance art and stuff, and it was cool, but it was just this massive tourist trap. And everyone is just walking around. No one's appreciating the art. They all got their phones out, just like videoing yeah. this museum and walking in front of you. And <laughs> you, know, you go to the Mona Lisa, there was 500 people packed in there. So you could only really kind of see it above people's heads. It, it wasn't really worth it no. to go for me. I remember when you and I were but, outside the Louvre too, like there was like the an influencer like walking along one of the, the ledges there yeah. just like posing like crazy it's just yeah. there's nobody there like legit a pre a pre well that's not true but yeah. there's just you no, i I, th- I would almost say it is it is almost 100 percent true oh okay yeah. i mean that's there, fair too my experience there i didn't see anybody who was really there appreciating art yeah i because it's, it's kind of just like yeah. i'm ticking the box and also everybody look yeah. i'm ticking the box uh yeah, yeah it, it was i remember it kind of being like a weird experience um in that sense so and i honestly can say like i didn't fall in love with paris uh, although when we went to that pizza shop though between the bus right before the bus tour that was kind of cool it was kind of a small pizza yeah. shop in a random street kind of in the middle of paris and we just kind of we, yeah. we just like hung out had a beer had a pizza yeah, it was it was, it was we cool. had the, and the guy the owner was like super or the server was super nice like we had a good time yeah yeah we did have a good time what was funny is that we had the because earlier that day we had lunch up on the Trocadero right by the Eiffel Tower and we had this one server who was just completely stressed out of his mind yeah and he, he had you know the white shirt and then the striped apron on and he was that completely stereotypical oh, yeah. French waiter yeah that's right just so he rude was not happy walking around and like swearing and just just out of his mind like cursing americans it was hilarious <laughs> it spoke a little yeah. bit of french to know that he was i was looking for that restaurant i think that restaurant's in the opening uh scenes like just the cover footage yeah it is it is yeah that yeah. guy was so miserable <laughs> but it was so funny because we had him in the morning that was that one stereotype of the french wa- waiter and then the complete opposite yeah right, at the pizza place just like the was so there was that american like, family like travel two tables Australians. over. oh they were australians, australians. that's right yeah and yeah. they were having such a good time <laughs> we were just like yeah. that everybody was super chill in there and they were watching the we were watching yeah. was it euro or world i can't remember world cup world cup yeah. yeah it was it was a good time yeah that was probably my favorite part of of paris that was fun it just it, that, that, that was like yeah it was interesting yeah yeah i'm looking forward to going again yeah maybe in a more chill time for sure less humid yeah I went up to Montmartre the next day, which is where you do see them walking around up there at one point. It's got the big church on the hill. Yeah. Him and Adriana walk up there at one point. Uh, that was a pretty cool place as well. So I was going to ask, that Picasso, is that legit? Mm-hmm. About like, Is Adriana, is that actually about painted? Is that kind of the thing that she, it actually is true? She's a, she's not a real character, but the, the painting is real. Of a mistress, though? Like the, the, uh, the assumptions of it? Yeah, I think so. Are kind of like who was this person like that? Yeah. So they kind of just it's, they it's pretty accurate in. in its art history, right? Like he he does a really good job of, of of writing a lot of truth about the art into the into the work. Cool. Into the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Cool. 
Well, shall we? I love that scene. Though. Yeah, that was a funny scene. Yeah. That that was kind of a nice. And that that's that's Musée d'Orsay. That's the the one I wanted to go to. Right. That was a cool. That was, was like a nice little uh, turn for Owen Wilson there. It's a satisfying yeah. character moment where it's just like finally he he uses something again. Like he, you always know that he has a better idea, a better picture of like what's actually going on, and like everybody's just yeah. like suppressing him. Yeah. I I love that scene. It was so funny. It's great. Classic. Uh, I guess Classic. should we rate this? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, this is, I love this film. So, what would you Go give it, Dan? I, I'm giving it a ten, man. I'm, yeah. This, it's, it's my top five, man. Mm. <laughs> I put it up there with. I like, okay, so I usually go like Casino Royale. Mm-hmm. Great movie. It's a great movie. Uh, Midnight in Paris is up there. I'd have to rethink my top five. Lord of the Rings. Well, that's that's Fellow. five there. <laughs> well yeah, i guess so <laughs> <laughs> so top six anyway that's fine we can talk about our top later we should do I'll that give it we ten. should do our tops we could do a whole hour of top movies and why yeah all right I, uh well i'd given a i don't know i really like the film i remember really loving it i remember dan recommended it to me years ago and i, I watched it and i was yeah. enthralled with it and just like it's just like a great feel-good film uh, that's well yeah. written and really interesting. Has a great, like, very, very good theme throughout. Strong, but also mm-hmm. not too over the like, not knocking over the head with it a little bit. I did feel this time it was uh, in second in watching it again. But then I do think that's just good writing. Um, yeah. So uh, yeah, I'd I I'll just yeah I'll do it. I'll mirror it. I'll do. It. I'll give it a ten. I love this movie. Yeah. Well, I, I love it just because what we talked about. Like, I've seen it so many times, and every time I've watched it, I've enjoyed it that much more. And even having, you know, just spent a year thinking about this film and six months writing about it, um, I still love it. You know, I've done, you could continue to dig into it and dig into it and see all these other references that I've found in my research and whatnot. And, and it just continues to to show you stuff that you don't, that's not obvious on the surface, right? I think on the surface, everyone thinks it's this great, fun, nostalgic film. And it's hilarious, and you get to see, you know, some funny interactions, you know, where he gives um, Bunuel or Brunwell or whatever the idea of the film. Yeah. What's the film? 12 Angry Men? Is that what he gives it? No. It's uh, no, the, the film. Uh, I, I don't know the name in English, but I think it's like the Terminator Angel. Yeah, right. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, with obviously all the themes that are underlying the, the comedy is... I think very still very relevant obviously as we talked about today very important and it goes all the way back to classics so timeless film i think yeah, it's a great film i give it a 10 too great yeah well we did it very generous today yeah, yeah. so star wars <laughs> <laughs> so episode 10 what will it be like Let's save that when? for next time, because my laptop's about to die. Oh man, this okay. battery's All not right. doing good. Okay, guys. Well, thank you guys. It's <laughs> been a fun conversation. I hope you yeah. enjoyed my ramblings and uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. We talk about important it things it was about great. Jordans. Yeah. About I'm, glad we, <laughs> I'm glad we got to do a film that you're so passionate about. I had written a piece of yeah. uh, a, ma- a major piece of your education on. It's beautiful. Well, yeah, I mean, 
<laughs> I think this is the film that I definitely, uh, well, one of the films that I'm most qualified to speak on at this point in my life. We'll bring Woody Allen next time to talk about the movie a little bit. Nice. That's right. Yeah. And he'll just say, well, I, I, I don't like to talk about my films. Yeah. <laughs> and then we'll cut it short at like it's two minutes. It's now or never, old man. Well, talk that's awkward it. Awkward pause Actually, and Woody cut. Allen. Woody Allen has a new autobiography that just came out the other day oh. called Apropos of Nothing. Cool. Anyways. All right, guys. Maybe check that out. All right. Thank you. This has been Film Buffs. See you yeah. next time. Bye. See you next time.